Welcome to Foot Guns, home to the only hype-free investment-based crypto podcast. Satoshi Nakamoto said it was going to happen. You know, I want half a million dollars of exposure to it. Ethereum. And, you know, everybody that's trading this was doing what I was doing today. A 51% attack where the chain split into three different chains. All of a sudden, I have Ethereum in my MetaMask account. And so anything from a regulatory standpoint that stifles DeFi is bad to me. Welcome everybody to the, the September 6th uh, week edition of Foot Guns Podcast. I'm your host, Boomer, the global macro discretionary trader, joined by Hal69K, the crypto bond villain. And today's special guest, I couldn't be more excited about, and that is Wasabi Boat Research, who is very active and the DeFi, and also has a podcast of his own. I have listened to all of the episodes. They are fantastic, and they are entertaining, and they are uh, provide a lot of information and fill in a lot of gaps that I don't know. If we could just start off, though, a little bit, Wasabi, before we you know, did the get-to-know-you part, I have something I'm a little sort of timely in the news, obsessed with, if we could just focus on for a second, and that's Cardano. I don't know what to make of Cardano. Tell me what you think about Cardano. Well, hey guys, uh, thanks a lot for having me. This is a real honor. I dig your podcast as well and happy to be chatting with you. To be honest, um, Cardano is a black box to me. I've never bought any of it. I see people kind of talking shit about it, that uh, it's kind of like a ghost town. It's one of the OG crypto coins that's been around since since kind of the, the gen- first generation and there's hype around it now because they're launching smart contracts, which is something that, you know, Ethereum has had for since, since the get go. So, um, I don't know, it's pumping now. I don't own it. I'm not planning to buy it. Not, you know, I know one guy who's, uh, just a, a local fr- crypto friend that that's big into it. He follows it closely, but, um, it's not, uh, not really something that's, that's on my radar. I mean, like if you, you compare it to ETH, like, I don't know any friends who are building startups on Cardano. I know people who kind of own it and trade it, but it's not really, um, I haven't come into contact with any kind of like ecosystem around it. So not not super big on my radar. Yeah, I have a theory. I just wanted to run it by you because um, you are a DeFi, you and Hal are DeFi experts. So we try to always, and it seems like, you know, no matter where you go, whether it's within quote unquote, the crypto community, which itself is splintered into different categories. But uh, there's always an attempt to make an analogy back to TradFi, like everything kind of goes back to TradFi. I mean, NFTs are at their, at the end of the day, they are art, right? They have a blockchain component, but they also exist in the art world. And to me, Cardano, if Doge is GME and those guys, the Wall Street Bets crowd sort of accidentally winding up in a crypto area, Cardano is a crypto SPAC. And here's why I think that's true. Hmm. So SPACs, they're legally required to, to, once formed, not to engage in any potential conversation with any potential target acquisition company. That's why they're called blank check companies. So to give you an idea, the one on Circle behind USDC and all that, people wrote a check to Bob Diamond, who is himself not that impressive of a guy. I mean, he became CEO of Barclays Bank, a.k.a. Lehman Brothers, post 0809. And they said, well, we're going to go put $4 billion in the hands of a smart guy And we're going to trust that that smart guy over a 24-month period is going to go out and make a smart acquisition. And you're limited to 24 months. And to me, the whole thing around Cardano is trust us. It has that SPAC feel. Come put a bunch of money in our token based on the idea that we're really smart and what we're going to do in the future, not the present, but the future is what's driving the price. What do you think? Yeah, I agree with you. And it's really kind of like a, a show me moment because they, they, you know, their price has been, like if you look, there was a good episode of the um, Uncommon Core podcast where they just kind of like went down the list of the top cryptos by market cap. And 
like one thing that st- stood out from that is that there are so many that are just kind of like still sitting around because they've been, you know, going for four or five years and they have something of a network effect and they've got their own fanboys and fangirls and they're just, you know, kind of chugging along. They have this kind of Lindy. I think you guys have talked about this on your on your other podcast too. Like there's not really like a debt that can cause these things to just blow up and disappear. They tend to keep chugging along and that's what's what's happened to Cardano, but pushed along by this kind of like always over the horizon smart contract or or, or new things. But you know, like the other thing is like one thing I, I keep an eye on is how much how big of a piggy bank do they have for developers to come in and kind of incentivize developers to to build stuff? And that's what's really like bootstrapped a lot of these other layer ones, um, things like Phantom. So you know, I think that's that's going to happen with Cardano too. And they've got a lot. You know, they're big. They have a lot of money to throw around to kind of attract developers. So I wouldn't I wouldn't write them out write them off for that just for that reason because they have a lot of kind of dry powder that they can bring people in with. That makes yeah, total they, sense. That makes total what if they sense. just like acquire another crypto, right? What if they're just like, oh yeah, actually, uh, we just got ninety five billion dollars in funding. We don't actually have smart contracts. We're just going to acquire like Phantom or something like that. Yeah, yeah. I mean, anything can happen, right? I, I think they they've been around. They've got they've got a core people. They've got money that they can put in to to incentivize. So you know, it's it's. It's when I when I start to see like a startup that's built on Cardano that's bringing in you know a billion dollars in TVL or you know go into a Discord and there's five hundred people in there saying good morning to each other and, and having fun like that's maybe I'll, I'll get interested in it at that point. That makes sense. So Wasabi Boat Research, are you doing research on Wasabi? Are you doing research on boats? Are you doing research on boats containing wasabi boats made out of wasabi boats powered by wasabi wasabi <laughs> like like what what is t- t- tell us all about that uh wasabi boat research is uh on twitter you know wasabi boat 420 as that implies kind of just like a crypto uh shit posting account that that i started out around the time that sushi launched so um i don't know i kind of got got onboarded into DeFi and crypto, I was part of this uh, chat group that grew up around a, a newsletter, kind of not dissimilar to, to you guys. And um, it was around the time Sushi was launching. And the guy that was kind of like the the leader of this group was very animate. He's like, okay, you know, step one, everyone create your own like Anon shitposting Twitter, and we're going to pump Sushi and we're going to, you know, talk about cryptos and stuff. So, um, you know, I was just kind of like, free associating, all right, you know, sushi, wasabi. And then another topic of conversation was the boats that we were all going to buy with our crypto gains. So uh, wasabi, there you get, you know, there you go for the boat. And then uh, just thought research sounded cool when you put those two together. So that's what it is. Kind of like uh, something that I spent 30 seconds uh, coming up with that's just kind of picked up momentum. And here we are. I like it. I think it's very witty and um, I, I, I absolutely like it. So as everyone knows, uh, Sushi was actually my first um, introduction into DeFi and a DeFi token. And it's where Hal taught me smart contracts and the underpinnings of smart contracts. I would, I, I'm a Sushi maximalist. I, I think that thing is a buy all the time. I wrote something in the newsletter. It was a while back about how I wanted to basically, I view DeFi as wanting to get long nerds. Uh, people who sort of live their life online, no computer code, um, but who are not, you know, interested in or con- deemed suitable for TradFi, right? They don't go work in investment banks and they don't sell out and work in places like Facebook. So um, my whole thing was, my thesis on Sushi was, is it's a direct derivative nerd trade, if you want to call it that. And that if if we do see a big pullback in crypto, um, then the people who are still going to be there are people using SushiSwap. Am, am I right or am I wrong? And, and tell us all about SushiSwap. Um, you know, I've never like worked at Sushi or done a super deep dive on them. I just, I think it's almost like a, a Coke and Pepsi play. Like Uniswap is the Coke. There's going to be a, a Pepsi around. And then, so you've got that going for them. 
Um, then they have X sushi, which means, you know, unlike Uniswap, you know, Uniswap has a token, but they're not, there's no mechanism to give you the value of some of the trading fees that are on, on that platform. Um, it with Uniswap token and sushi has X sushi. So you can take your sushi and then stake it. Um, and then they're giving you like, I don't know, some percentage of, of their, of their fees that they get. So I like that. I like that. Uh, you know, I, I'm kind of like a stock person. I've always enjoyed picking my own stocks and I have a soft spot for uh old uh boomer, you know, dividend okay, stocks. Okay, okay, okay. Like all right, all right, let's stop right there. Oh. Okay. First of all, not all boomers are into stocks. I don't have a 401k. I'm too rich for that. Um, I hate stocks, I hate individual name stocks. I think there's lying there's more lying that goes on in the US equity market by CEOs than there is all of crypto's exit scams combined. Okay. I'm a I'm a I'm a global macro guy, which means I like commodities because I think price is truth over there. I mean, you know, supply supply and demand and speculation all meet up around the price of oil. There's not a lot of uh, price manipulation that's allowed to take place due to to the to the tightly regulated nature of it all. Um, so, what do you like about <laughs> sorry, sorry, but what do you like about okay? So, what do I like about this, sushi? What no? Talk, tell me as a guy who likes stocks. Walk me through your evolution. One, why do you like equities and equities trading or investing? And then two, how did that lead over, get you over to crypto? Um, okay, so I'm just one of those guys that, you know, it's their hobby. Like managing their money is is a hobby. Like I like reading business books. I like reading business history. I like you know, in my, my real life, I have my own businesses. I'm an entrepreneur. I've started several companies and I believe, you know, there's one of those like cheesy Warren Buffett quotes that like being a running a business kind of gives you, makes you a better investor and make being an investor helps you run the business. Cause you can kind of see both sides of it. So, um, I don't know. I just like being hands-on with, with money and about the time, you know, about this time last year, last summer, like I kind of made the, the transition in crypto from thinking about these are like kind of this super speculative thing to these are more like putting a bet on a company, except with crypto, you can go into a discord and help build the company at the same time and get involved. And if you're, you know, a stockholder, if you try to make a suggestion or email the CEO and you're just, you know, Joe Blow, they're going to ignore you. Talked about this a little bit last time, and this is a, a pro tip. If you call up one of those investor relations things and say that you're with Wasabi Research Capital Management or something like that, if unless it's like a Fang or Walmart, they'll get you on the phone with the COO or C CFO. They do not do a lot of screening behind that process. Mm -hmm. I've actually done that a few times, so feel free to feel free to sort of take advantage of that. And I think you've hit on a really amazing theme. I think you'd make a really good private equity guy in the sense that that's even more, you know, you, you, you have board level participation in the governance of companies and people basically created that on, on, uh, on discord. Um, I, I think that, uh, uh, I guess where the, where some of these analogies get brought over, break down for me a little bit is on things like market cap and volume um, the volume reported widely on Bitcoin is inaccurate. Mm -hmm. On the biggest day of Bitcoin, there was actually, f I think, $18 billion of Bitcoin traded. But the volume showed 118 because that included all the leveraged future derivative components. So mm -hmm. it makes it kind of look like a bigger market than it really is. Um, and this gets into an interesting question. So if you're a stock guy is what you're doing, are you trading, are you a momentum type trader or more fundamentally driven trader? And if you're a fundamentally driven trader, then you're probably looking at EV over EBITDA or for sort of layman price per earnings. Do you think that you can go in and look at crypto on not a market cap basis, but an enterprise value over revenue or enterprise value over EBITDA basis? Okay, so... I kind of view crypto a little bit differently than I view stocks, like, um, or maybe I would, I would make, make the, make it closer to kind of investing in a stock that's like, okay, so I'm in high school. 
there's a, a certain day when I, you know, I'm, I'm searching the internet and there's a certain day where everyone kind of realizes that. Oh, hey, oh, like, I'm sorry. I got to interrupt there. I thought you were like 35 with a PhD. I'm 37. Okay. No, I'm not in high school. I'm talking, I'm bringing okay. you back to the time when I'm in high school. Okay. Let's talk, okay. I was like, I was like, we have found the smartest high schooler yeah, no, in no, the no, world. No, we, need, we need to get in touch with, you know, the U S government and get you over to the CIA or wherever you need to be because wow, you're smart. Now tra- travel back in time with me to when I was in high school and searching, you know, the internet's coming out, you're using search engines. And then one day you realize, Hey, like Google is the best search engine. Dogpile so wait, doesn't so, work anymore. So, and so, so when you, you're, you're in high school and you're all like, what kind of computer are you using? I mean, are you like, yeah, so you're, you're you're about my age. So you're like, are you, are you the only computer in the classroom searching? Are you, are you in, are you in like the computer lab where they're teaching you how to how to write a word document? No, no, no. This is like high school. You know, like you're writing a report and they're telling you not to use Wikipedia and you need to be going to the high school library and using. Okay, that. yeah, yeah. You need you to know, go like at least right? include three encyclopedia quotes. Yeah, right? yeah, yeah. <laughs> um, but like, okay, so there's a time when you realize, hey, this, you know. Google's the best search engine, and maybe if you had some money in your piggy bank, you would want to invest in Google. But hey, that's still a private company. You can't, you know, you can't do that unless you're a millionaire, right? So, you know, with crypto, it's like I think they're these, you know, I consider them to like to be early stage startups, right? They're early stage startups, and you're you're making an investment in that based on some kind of thesis around like. Hey, this this product is solving a need in the world. Hey, like I like the team. Hey, I like um, you know in in five or ten years I could see this being something, right? And with crypto, like you can just a go buy their token or b uh, go on their Discord and just like start helping. So I think there is like especially for some of the bigger projects, Boomer to your to your point, like you're starting to see more metrics around you know, cash flows and TVL and, you know, m- you know, getting to the point where you could like say that sushi is undervalued or overvalued compared to this or that. And, and I think there's probably a place for that, but my thinking is more like, Hey, this is solving a real problem. This is going to be a real use case. I like these people. I see people using it. I'm going to try to try to throw some in there and, and get, get behind this project. That makes sense. It also makes sense. Just to clarify, I'm not a boomer. I'm actually Gen X and actually a cusper millennial. I was sort of the uh, right as the internet. So I would have uh, graduated from high school in 96. So the internet was just happening. We were all super skeptical about it. And we'd always be like, you know, it's all boys school. We joke around and be like, I've got your dot com right here in my pants. And mm-hmm. so we were sort of like weird weird uh skeptical people and i just i thought email was a fad i just didn't believe any of it and tried to short intel in 1998 with like you know mom and box mom and dad yellow bucks and stocks and and one of the things we were talking about though is um you know so you live through the dot-com bubble right and people have made various comparisons through the dot-com bubble to crypto and on a podcast that we did i'm not sure if we ever released it there could you know Technical malfunctions sometimes happen. You don't release them, whatever. We, Hal and I explored whether, in fact, the dot-com bubble actually happened in the sense that all the equity valuations, I mean, if you look at the historical case, uh, Case-Shiller, S&P, uh, PE ratios, uh, it reached its highest level. We're back to above, you know, the Great Depression era levels, but it was like, you know, we're, we're bumping up against the PE ratios on the dot-com quote-unquote bubble era. But the thing is, if you if you go back and you live through it or whatever, everyone was basing those valuations off of future things. And I'm not really sure it was a bubble. The problem was, was they were using the problem they had that crypto doesn't have is that they had they, they used TradFi funding mechanisms that didn't make a whole lot of sense, like borrowing a bunch of money on future earnings. So these things were, they were using debt, you know, Silicon Valley didn't have all that much capital under management. So they weren't writing equity checks. They were writing like, you know, convertible debt checks. And so you had a situation where, you know, your SG&A was huge um, and people bid up the value of these prices based on the idea that they would earn money at some point. But then, you know, so we have this bubble, so to speak, it spills over into 
let's call them normal stocks. And then now we have a whole string of, of gazillion dollar, multi-billion. Amazon's never made money. So why was Webvan a part of the bubble? It never made money, but it's basically just Amazon delivery. And it's used as the poster child for the, the dot-com bubble. And so um, did we really even have a dot-com bubble? And you know, can crypto be even compared to that? Okay, so I've, I've heard you guys riff on this before. I think, you know... It's it's all it all depends on your time horizon, right? If you were buying Amazon at the dot com bubble, you know you lost, and then you're back, and you're up huge, or you know all these, you know the the ones that that survived and thrived, you know they were the OGs. They're the kind of like tier two, like kind of like shit coins or like projects that didn't really have users or vaporware. They were you know tacking on a dot com. The ones that went to zero, like you really you really lost everything on those. So um, I think you're in uh, with crypto, like you have an advantage in that you have all this stuff on chain, right? Like you can see how many transactions they're doing. You can see the fees they're getting. You can see the users and talk with them on Discord. So you can kind of like get a much better feel of what's vaporware and what's real. So I think that's, that's a difference. Um, at the same time, like, the other the other point is like money printer go burr like we're in a in a very burr state of uh, state of the world right now the money supply is going up so the denominator is is just you know exploding so um you know I think that that explains part of it but but um I don't know I think you know five ten twenty year time horizon crypto is is in like a revolutionary technological revolution um i'm kind of bought into the like bankless podcast if you ever listen to them like the ethereum universe and and things that are are going on there like i think that's that's real and that's going to change change the world um so i think my what, what i'm trying to do is you know find things that are going to be around in five or ten years and and make bets on them and and try to contribute in some small way and hope that one or two or you know a small handful of them pay off well, that makes sense. So articulate that case. I have not listened to the Bankless uh, podcast, but give me your, you know, Wasabi Boat's research uh, take on the Bankless take, if that makes sense. Okay. I mean, Bankless, they are Ethereum maxis, right? And I think they have a product. They're, they're launching their own index fund, which is like a third Bitcoin, a third ETH, and a third... Um, DeFi, like the top DeFi tokens. So their idea is like you can just buy this one index and that's going to give you exposure to the biggest themes in crypto. And I think that's that's broadly right. Like that's kind of where I'm positioned. Um, if you take a you know, big picture, look at my portfolio. Um, and they're just ultra long, I would call it like the Ethereum universe. So the idea that like Ethereum is changing culture, Ethereum is changing the way companies are built, it's changing payments, it's changing, you know, the way value is stored and created. It's a new way for people to interact with each other and solve uh, coordination problems. Like they're just kind of like Ethereum is eating the world type thesis. Okay, so um, so it's an Ethereum. Well, I like it already because I'm a self-identified Ethereum shy boy, but I, I sold my 50 Ethereum that I had at 2175 at 4,000. And maybe it was a defensive move, but uh, it was a good gain in 30 trading days or something, 40, I don't know. Uh, but uh, I, I, uh, I, the, the Solana's popped up now. You know, you hear about this. Sol- I sound like a boomer when I say that. Now you got this Solana. Mm-hmm. Um, but, uh, but Solana's popped up. Um, and I just, in our discord, um, and I only participate in foot guns discord and I'm not very good at it. I'm still learning how to emoji reply. Um, but, uh, uh, I keep hearing complaints about Ethereum fees and I wonder how, how maxi can you get around something where the people are always complaining about the fees associated with the products? Yeah. Okay. So I think I should have been clear. Like when I say Ethereum, I don't necessarily mean ethereum i mean kind of like what ethereum lets you do so like i think the the revolutionary thing of ethereum is that with one page of code anyone can create their own 
money. Anyone create can create their own token, and you guys have done this right for your for your uh, your business, right? And what that does is it allows everyone. You know, I think that's kind of an innovation on par with like you know limited liability company or joint stock corporate. You know, any of these like major changes in the way business is is done. So like instead of instead of like you're say you're building a startup, right? Instead of getting dollars and funding your startup with dollars, you can, and you've done this, right? You're making your own token and you can use, uh, use that to pay people who believe in your project, right? Like if I believe in your project, I would be happy to, to take your tokens, right? Or you can use it to, um, have governance or, or vote, or you can use it to, uh, make a market in your own tokens and reward people for, for, um, providing liquidity. So I think that's like, that's that's what I mean by the, like the Ethereum universe. The idea of this like using a token to that anyone can do. It's permissionless that, and they can use that as a way to kind of bootstrap a business or bootstrap a cultural product or bootstrap some some kind of way to to bring value. So, like when you when you talk about Solana, like there's tons of chains that you know like basically the same software you would use to build an Ethereum product you can now bring to Solana or bring to Phantom or bring to Polygon and it's much cheaper or there are these, you know, layer two things. And so like, it's just kind of like, like the, the, the technical know-how you need to build on Ethereum is the same technical know-how you, you can then bring that over to these other chains that are cheaper and faster. And so like, yeah, like I think, you know, I would think about it probabilistically, like could Ethereum get really like overshadowed and eclipsed by these things that are, faster and cheaper like maybe or do they just keep keep um keep chugging along because they're the first mover and biggest like i would i would probably think of that on like a probability distribution but um when i say like the ethereum universe i mean that like the making a token and using it to to fund your thing or to align your community so that's like a proxy for uh what you're describing it doesn't have to take place on ethereum network it's a it's a it's a decentralized, but the key word you use there, right, is permissionless versus permissioned, and so uh, the permissionless future of the of uh, uh, the permissionless structure of the future. I think one of the things that people miss, or like boomer skeptic crypto people, are like, eh, it's all tulip mania or whatever, is that there's a whole generation of people, um, you know, Gen Z and maybe a little bit older than that, who've never really dealt with fiat. I mean, they don't, they've never had like money in the sense that, you know, they're, maybe they still get an allowance from their parents for doing chores or something like that. But I mean, I haven't used paper money in a while. And for a whole generation, crypto is not going to seem all that weird to them because they're already used to digitize money. And another thing is, have you ever had a million dollars in a, sitting in a bank account? No, not at one place. Okay, so if you do and you get down to the bank and say, I want to get my million dollars out, you can't do that. Mm-hmm. You cannot you jump with, through hoops, yeah. No, 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 you can't. Even with jumping through hoops, I mean, you, you can if you, if you, you know, spend like a year slowly withdrawing smaller amounts or whatever. So, you know, you see these balances of fiat crypto in your bank, but you know, you may have a million dollars in your checking account, but you actually can't get a million dollars out. You can't be going on a Friday and be like, I've decided I want paper money. Mm-hmm. You know? And so um, I think, I think that's where the, 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 the boomer skeptical crowd or whatever, you know, crypto is a scam and all that are missing the whole point, which is, you know, this money that you think that you have in cash, you can't even really access it. You sure as shit can't access it transnationally without you want to talk about paperwork try to withdraw you know a million dollars in argentine pesos in buenos aires it's never going to happen for you ever and so um you know it we talk about fiat versus crypto and it's it's sort of like money's already digitized anyway uh the only people for whom money is not digitized and this is a wealth inequality issue i think is for people who can't you know don't have a credit report, can't afford a credit card, um, 
maybe don't even have a debit card, right? And so they are still using, you know, primary source of payment method there is still fiat. But otherwise, I mean, you know, I had to rent out a cabin that I have, or I pay that person via Zelle, you know, I don't have a couple hundred bucks to pay them. Um, same with the, you know, handyman around here or whatever. And um, so, you know, what... I, I, I guess crypto. Do you see my? Do you see where I'm going with this? Am I making sense? I guess you're saying that like the process of money is because it's gotten so divorced from having cash in your pocket, and because there are all these barriers and loops you have to jump through. People are more open to kind of questioning the very nature of money, and you know now dollar yeah, coins just, are money, and you know I'm, anyone I'm you're, you're to, making your own money, and yeah, I'm just used to digital money already because. So, so okay, I want to take this conversation a slightly different way, based on that. Based on that, uh, you know, I'm used to digital money already because everybody has been talking about how NFTs are a bubble, right? And a, and here's a point that I want to make that that sort of like hit me in the last couple of weeks. I, I've been playing a lot of uh, video games my whole life, right? And I have a lot of friends that play video games, and I know like within my friend group that many many thousands of dollars have been spent on pictures that go onto the computer and there's no other way to realize it than to like go into the game and look at the picture basically, right? Like it's like your character has a new cloak on or a pair of boots or something like that, right? So I think that there's a large number of people in this world that have grown up thinking that, you know, an image on the computer is valuable and there's an older generation that doesn't understand it because it didn't grow up with it. Um, but yeah, I, you know, um, what's the, the company Riot Games, you know, did a billion dollars um, just in selling skins, which is just like uh, essentially an NFT, right? They, they sold a picture inside of their video game uh, to their users that doesn't even like enhance your, your gameplay or anything like that. It's literally just a picture that makes things look different, right? So I could easily see billions and billions of dollars flooding into NFTs through through just that mechanism. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, in game stuff, like, and you know, it's gotten to the point where there's this whole like class of you know low wage laborers who are doing manual repetitive tasks to like get these in game currencies to buy them, you know, buy the valuable real estate or cloaks or whatever. Yeah, I mean, I think that's. That's real. I mean, another another you go back to stocks like Roblox. I own I own them. I'm bullish. They have their own, you know, in game currency that you know it's for for younger kids that they buy, and that's you know, this is whole trend. Like people are spending more and more time in front of screens and getting OG status or clout or items or real estate within games. That's just as real to them as you know, having a piece of real estate. I, I do also have, you know, because you, you brought up Roblox, that's what, Roblox, whatever however you pronounce it. Um, that's what my nephew was asking for everyone in, in our family for his birthday. And, uh, you know, the, this could be a potential top signal to this uh, crypto rally that he uh, came into the other room uh, <laughs> and asked someone in my family for some Bitcoin and offered them, you know, 50 cents. Top signal, just getting started. I don't know. What are the, what is this like? Uh, top signals are indistinguishable from uh, adoption. Yeah, so know unless you're in hindsight. That's a good point, and that's one of the questions I want to ask you, Wasabi. So you're a stock guy. Uh, you you experienced investing prior to crypto. You presumably buy stocks and invest in stocks, do whatever you do, uh, with a exit value in mind. I mean, maybe you have a retirement account that you're just you know not paying attention to, and then you have maybe more active account um at what point do you at what point do you say okay this is this is this is just it's not going to get any better than this i would like to hand in everything i've ever done in crypto and just have my us dollars what what, what price of bitcoin what price of ethereum what, what do you need to see in terms of actual price action that would make you say you know what this is as good as it gets and uh, I'm going to back to, you know, convert all this stuff into us dollars, which is what you do when you're selling an equity. Yeah. Uh, I'm horrible at selling. I'm horrible at selling things. I mean, I know I would be holding 
till till many multiples higher and probably bag holding after it comes down. I don't know. I, I'm I'm a very emotional seller. I think if if something convinced me that was like uh, that it was really you know busted use case or there was a fundamental flaw in these you know applications or something like that maybe I'll tell you I made I made a big mistake there was this uh, tether fud there was an article a long article on medium where this guy was writing stuff on uh, you know tether's a scam tether's uh, it's gonna blow up and take down every crypto market and I, I read that thing and I sold all my Bitcoin. And took a big tax hit, and then I probably bought back in in a few chunks. And I was just like, that was that was just dumb. Like, I, I don't think you know. I, I sort of like did a deep dive and did more research on it. Um, but that was just you know that's one of the things I like about your podcast. You guys talk a lot about the psychological and, and emotional, and you try to like pre-plan these things. But I do not have that kind of like trader mentality of pre-planning. I do not have an exit point in mind. I think. Um, I think I'm just as irrational and prone to uh, being fallible about these things as, as anyone else. Uh, that's ev- that's every trader. The most difficult uh, decision a trader has to make is when to take a loss. And really good traders have the ability to uh, take losses not too quickly. And how really changed my mind about that, the way of thinking about where to put a stop loss is put it below where you'd be a buyer. Um, but I do think that there is a point where there's just this thing is just ridiculous and you're losing, you know, uh, for the Bitcoin, where I just diverge so badly with the Bitcoin maxi guys is like, um, you know, is your, your Bitcoin is still valuable because it's referenced in U.S. dollars. You don't need a total collapse of the U.S. dollar. In fact, you know, you need an adoption case, not a, you know, sort of Mad Max Bitcoin's going to be the only thing left of value because fed action and all that other kind of stuff. I think that's, that's like, if you want to talk about Gaussian distributions the probabilities, that probability of that case is almost zero. Um, I think, however, uh, there does get to be a point and I, I got to it with Ethereum where I thought I'd have a price target of, you know, 8,000 really sounded reasonable to me. I've seen so many like gold did this where <clears throat> it created and printed a really top fast high and then sold off and then never really got back to that high until nine years later. And so that's kind of fresh in my mind thinking about crypto because we're still not back to 64K on Bitcoin, but it's almost hard to see how do we get the 52K and sell off without going through 64K. And then if you get through 64K, what's to stop you from 100K? But then again, that's probably what everyone's thinking. So who are going to be the people who buy between 64K and 100K? So, mm-hmm. you know, it comes from like, it's like, it's like, if you think that there's going to be a move, um, you know, say something's going to move 10 units in one direction, um, a very, very, very good trader captures five units out of that, that, that move, right? A, a very good trader is not trying to get 10. They're trying to get five out of it. And sometimes you'll get more, sometimes you'll get less, but if you're right and and you win, you're not going to get 100% of the move, and that that leads to uh, that leads to to to. to um, here's an interesting question for you, uh, or at least I think so. That's one of the things you're not supposed to do is be like, "This is an interesting question." Um, <laughs> <but> anyway, <laughs> um, what's the worst loss on a percent basis or absolute dollar value basis you've ever taken on a stock? Oh, that's a good question. I don't. I mean. Okay, there's one. I had a small position in this stock called um, a Wilco Drilling, and I like uh, I like the the microcap stocks. And this was one. It was a microcap um, Norwegian oil company that owned two uh, floating oil rigs, and they were going to pay out like ninety percent of their uh, of their income in dividends, and then something happened, like there was this oil crash or one of them sunk or something, you know, something, something happened and they basically just went down to, uh, to zero and I'm still holding that thing. Okay. Probably like a 95% plus loss that I'm just bag holding. I mean, it's so small that like, I'm just kind of like, it's like a souvenir. It's like an NFT in my stock account. You're holding it. I mean, holding's not an investment strategy. It's just people who were, they were, they were hanging on to unrealized losses. 
And if you carry around unrealized losses, if you're a professional trader, that makes no sense because you use it to offset for tax. But, it, but well, it's in, me, a, it's in an IRA, so I'm not going to pay tax. I couldn't use it to, right, right. Uh, to offset. No, yeah. No, I got you. But I'm saying so. What the second follow up question to that is: What is your worst loss in crypto? Oh, I mean, I've had stuff that's gone to zero, like lots of. So um, when I was in this kind of like crypto group, like there's it was during DeFi summer. It was last summer. There were things popping up. You know, we we're in these like algorithmic stable coins that went to zero that, um, you know, there's like the roller coaster of death. Like you had the empty set dollar that came along and like that was really well regarded and then you had all these clones of them that spun up and you're you're trying to do it and they're basically like ponzi's or i don't know they have ponzi ponzi like dynamics and um and there was a chance that you know that that's kind of like the holy grail of of DeFi is like if you can make an al- algorithmic stable coin that that works then that's going to be this huge you know zero to one innovation so you know there's some pop- probability that 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 succeeds um and yeah, I mean, you, I have those still, like they've gone zero or I've, you know, the some I've sold for taxes or some I've, you know, some have just like collapsed and it's not worth the gas to sell them that, are, you know, they're just Yeah, I was going to say, that's like the punishing part about Ethereum is just like, oh, your trade is so bad. Now you're trapped in it because it'll cost you a hundred bucks to get out of it. And the value of your a million tokens is now 80 bucks or something. Like yeah. That. Yeah. Or there's ones like it would be even worth a hundred bucks for the, for the gas purposes, but there's ones that like the smart contract failed and they're not updating. So you can't even, you know, there's some lockup period and it's not even advancing the times to like get out of the lockup period. So you're just like in this, in them locked so, forever. Uh, okay. Let's, let's adjust the question then after I, I'll tell you, here, here's my quickest loss in, in crypto is uh, there was a project that announced that they were going to like put out a new token. So I went on to, you know, this was, this was early days of DeFi, like sushi swap, you know, was just starting. And uh, I think it was on Uniswap. I went on Uniswap and like, uh, search for the token, put a thousand dollars in and then realized that uh, like the whole pool disappeared and I realized that it was uh, a fake token. Oh, I've, I've done that. I feel even worse. Like I was in this group and there was some some token that came out and I was like, you know, I forget why there was some like it was associated with someone or some there was some something that caught my eye and I was like, hey, is this is this real or a scam? And I put, you know, put that as a question mark and put it in this chat. And then the guy was like, you know, one of the other guys, like one of my buddies in this group was like, oh, okay, aped in. Oh, wait, it was a scam. Like, I, you know, they lost money. So I felt like even, even worse, but, but it's like, you know, losing other people's money feels even shittier. Cause like, you know, I, I like having like an R and D fund, right? Like, especially with these like super new risky crypto things, like I'm not going to put it, I'm going to put in money and kind of expect it to go to zero or not be surprised. Um, and I'm doing it as a learning experience to like learn, learn about DeFi and stuff. So I was, I was fine to, to see it go, but to, you know, put something in and then someone else loses money feels even shittier than that. So, so that's an interesting thing for me, an observation for me, which is that your, your trading strategy or investing strategy in stocks differs from that of crypto. My experience, you know, we decided we were going to do this. Um, our sort of origin story is that, uh, you know, Hal and I've been friends for a very long time. Um, and uh, he was really starting to make some money on crypto and I was getting curious. And so we kept us having these conversations via signal voice message. And we're like, well, this should be a podcast. Um, and our friend liquidity was looking for a, a crypto voice. And so I've tried to trade via the futures. I've tried to trade things like their futures and not even pay attention to anything, mm-hmm. like nothing. Um, and just, just look at charts, fully technical. Although I did start to get sort of persuaded by, um, you know, use case maximalist. And that's why I sort of stopped messing around with Bitcoin and, and got really into sort of Ethereum. But in my case, uh, I've transferred my, call it normal trading behavior over to crypto. But I will say this, I'm not involved in the sort of, you know, beyond MetaMask um, arena like you guys are and don't go into to, to discords and 
all of that. So can we ask you, um, do you have a background in, in trad flies or what do you do for a living broadly? I mean, we want to respect everybody's, uh, anonymity, including our own. Uh, but, uh, what, uh, what, what part of the country you're in and, 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 you know, that kind of stuff. Yeah. Um, so let's see to, for a living, I have my own businesses that I started been doing that for about 10 years. So I've never had really like a proper job except for like a couple of years right after uh, I did my master's. So, um, those are masters in a finance related field. No, not at all. It was in, uh, languages. Oh, interesting. Like linguistics or no, no, just, I'm just trying to be a little bit, uh, ambiguous, but yeah, like like language related, uh, thing. Um, but yeah, so like I, I got into the kind of like four hour work week internet business kind of, uh, kind of vibe. So I have a couple of companies that I started. One is a, a services business that's in related to languages and uh, I have a couple of e-commerce stores that I started. Um, so I know about SEO and, um, and that kind of replaces what would be a day job for me uh, until I've, you know, more recently started to, to work in crypto for, for protocols. Um, but like, I think probably like the, the biggest, and I've done some, some financial stuff. So like the, the biggest skill that I like to do or what I kind of like consider myself really good at professionally is um, copywriting. So that's like this, this idea of like sales writing where um, you're not like trying to write an art, like a blog post. It's like, you're trying to write this hard hitting email. That's going to get someone to subscribe to your newsletter. Right. So I've done a lot of writing in the, you know, financial copywriting for financial newsletter space, like for these options, uh, newsletters, stuff like that. Um, And uh, you know, that, that comes from like the e-commerce and SEO. So like that really just like, writing with the objective of getting someone to, to take an action. So that's, that's what I think I kind of bring to the table when I've been working for, for a badger trying to like get my foot foot in the door with these protocols is like writing in such a way that is clear for the user and get someone to take action and understands what's, what to do next. I think that's a big thing that's missing, especially in DeFi. Like people try to kind of make things, more complicated and they think they're being clever when they should really be writing at a fourth grade level and, and making things super simple for the users. So is that how you got uh, involved with BadgerDAO? And for the listeners that don't know, BadgerDAO is a yield strategy for your Bitcoin on DeFi, similar to uh, what BlockFi does. Um, but they are a decentralized autonomous organization um, built on the, the blockchain. And that, that was how we met uh, Wasabi Boat Research. And I think there's a, a, a we got to do a little disclosure here, right? How I mean, some of us have very large positions in Badger. Just FYI, I think yeah. that's fair. Yeah, I own Badger. I do paid work for Badger. I'm not a full time member of Badger team, but but um, I I you know receive compensation for them, and I am a believer in the project. So yeah, that, I mean that's how I got like with with you know talking about the the Discord thing. Like that's that's how I got involved. Like. I kind of saw myself gradually going from someone who's just like an observer and putting money in these things to, to wanting to help and help build these things. Um, and so I just went to the marketing channel on the Badger Discord and started chiming in and making suggestions. And I wrote some kind of Twitter threads about why I like Badger and, you know, one thing leads to another and then you're doing doing projects for them. So right now, you know, we're, relaunching the website and writing new copy for that. So that's kind of something that I was like, Hey, I can, you know, bring this to the table and help, uh, help improve some of the, the copy and, and usability stuff. That's great. That, that brings you back to a point we were talking about earlier. Uh, when Boomer asked you about sushi swap, that, that was one thing that I noticed during this downturn earlier this year, you know, when everything crashed, um, 50% plus, um, as I, you know, I hang out in a lot of discords and I was just paying attention to the discords that had a lot of activity when all the price was down. You know, I noticed that a lot of discords dried up, you know, for instance, uh, mm. you mentioned like empty, empty set dollar. Another one was dynamic set dollar. I mean, there was, you know, maybe a message a day where at that same time I, I saw the badger discord, you know, starting to, to pick up in the amount of people talking about things. And then the same thing was happening in Sushi. 
um, and a couple of other different projects that I'm uh, following. I would love to have a quantitative, like, is there any bot that can go in there and like scan how many messages a day are, are being, uh, being posted or doing like sentiment analysis? I know someone on Twitter, I forget who it was, but they also had this metric where you can look at like the number of server boosts on Discord. So that's like, if you like a project and want to support it, you can kind of like pay a hundred bucks and it like gives them, I don't know, like cool emojis or something. And they're like, that's their like secret indicator that they look at to see like the level of community support. Yeah. I think stuff like that would be super interesting to, to look in and like more formally put into a trading strategy. But yeah, that's right. Like, yeah, that is very interesting. You can find a lot about a project just by going in there and who are you talking to? I'll I'll write a check for that today. Yeah, if anybody listening uh, wants to do that, join the No, 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 no. Shut, <laughs> shut up, shut up, shut up, pal. Wasabi Boat Research, I'll write a check if you devise that today. That is brilliant. That's I, I've seen people do that. It's it's even gotten the the, the, the the leading edge on this were some guys who designed a hedge fund uh, around uh, mentions on Twitter and were kind of laughed at a little bit. Oh, on CN, CNBC. Chris, Chris Camillo? Yeah, I, I yeah. They were kind of laughed at early on, but the thing is, is that now even in interactive brokers, one of the columns that you can display is social sentiment score. Mm-hmm. Where they have some sort of scanner that looks around on Twitter. I mean, it's not that helpful for like natural gas. I think it's more helpful for like, you know, um, individual names in U.S. equities. But uh, that that I would be surprised if somebody's not already doing that. If they're not, whether there's a reason for it and um that's a great insight you provided how and and wow i'd write a check for that project okay noted let's, let's talk offline about that no i the, i think the guy chris camillo may, might be the guy you're talking about he had this thing that would search twitter and like his big thing was like he would search like mommy bloggers and find out like what's the hot kids toy that's going to be for the christmas season and then like buy calls on that and he could Someone just one please make an NFT called mommy blogger. Sorry. <laughs> yeah. But I mean, all that stuff is real. I've played around. There's some like kind of like sentiment algorithms that you can get on Python and, and put in like crypto things, but there's so much, there's so much uh, noise on crypto Twitter that it just picks up too much of that. I think you have to really be like a data science guy to, to filter that out and get some usable signals in that. I agree with that. The the only foot gun I could see there would be um, there's a commodities hedge fund called Osprey, and they got really into fundamental research surrounding platinum, and they thought that the price was dislocated. They thought it was a real shortage, and they were right. I mean, they had guys like informants and South African mines, and you know, dispatched a hundred employees around the world to go into random jewelry stores. I mean, just just crazy stuff and everything. And they pretty much bet the bank on their fundamental analysis, which is not dissimilar to the sort of Twitter sentiment. And you know what? They were 100% right, but they put the trade on a year too soon. Hmm. So, you know, yeah, definitely. That would be the only foot gun I would sort of see around that. So let's switch over to our sort of more lightning round, uh, uh, quick, quick talk stuff. Give us a very unpopular opinion in crypto right now that you hold. Well, I mean, I think, okay, I think the tether FUD is justified in the sense that, like, there could be a scandal. Maybe it's not tether. Maybe it's something else. But, like, there's, I think you made a comment earlier about, like, fake volume on Bitcoin exchanges. Like, there's a lot of stuff that is is dodgy and you know money moving around and either it's going to be an institutional or it's going to be a big stable coin blowing up or but but like i think crypto is getting to the point where there is systemic risk in the system and we are at some point gonna find out where that is exactly um maybe it's a big company that's a fraud or maybe someone's you know swimming without a bathing suit and i think trying to like talk about that stuff does not get you a lot of friends on crypto. Like there's, there's a lot of up only kind of moon boy people. And I generally agree with that. But like, I also think like you have to, if you're not kind of like putting the bear case in or the, the putting the bear case in, in the best possible light and trying to understand it and trying to understand what the risks are and then 
making a decision, taking all that into account, like that's kind of dumb. How would you quantify that though? It seems like to me, I agree with you uh, on that. And I think you and I hold, but we're both unpopular. I mean, I'm never going to be famous within crypto because I'm too skeptical or whatever. Uh, but I, I think that uh, I, I share that view on pop, you know, the sort of, I don't know. I think we're seeing on a broader basis, let me know if you agree with this. I think we're seeing on a broader basis, the merging of a lot of things that used to be very discreet and concrete. Um, you know, Bitcoin has become a little bit of a religion for people, or a, a lot of Bitcoin maxis. Um, politics has become a religion. It's become a substitute for religion. You know, things have gotten very tribal, sort of how you you know, your identity or your demographic data is starting to disconnect with some of the political, the traditional associated political beliefs, right? And uh, so so things are changing and they're getting much more tribal and in nature where everybody thinks their thing is the best thing ever and it should have worldwide adoption. And, you know, you, I think you just make a great point, which is this is not a religion. This is not, you know, betting on whether or not um, Buddhism is real or Islam is real or Christianity is real or whatever. These things have real use cases. I do think that there is risk around that. I think, I think that's very well said. The destabilizing event, to me, that's probably not going to be an exit scam. It's going to be tether blows out to three. That's what no one's talking. Like, like mm. what, what if that happens? And then all of a sudden, because that's what I noticed with, 0809 was it was a confidence of crisis and it started out with a bunch of people holding illiquid instruments that they didn't fully understand and then they started to fully understand them and so they looked around at all this other stuff that's pretty easy to understand like u.s equities and like well what do we don't know about that and so it just start it was a wave of crisis it was a it was a, a loss of faith based on a very obscure instrument. I mean, eight guys sitting around the AIG insurance office were writing credit default swaps and they brought down the whole system. It wasn't really the housing market. And so, um, you know, it, to me, it's just a fundamental loss of faith. And I think it speaks to crypto's durability in terms of the fact that you have had, I mean, you're comfortable putting on some positions where you're like, yeah, I could totally lose 100% on this and you manage risk appropriately. Um, I think that the, the, it's, it's, that you're 100% right. It's going to be a destabilizing event where something cascades, where someone doesn't fundamentally, fundamentally trust something, and then people start to question everything. Yeah. That- yeah. It could be an exchange blowing up. It could be a stable coin. It could be, and, and then like the nature of crypto is that there's so much leverage. There are people going 25x long or there's people with all this money in Aave that's yield farming and they've got loans. And so like that's one thing I stay away from is leverage because like there are just these huge leverage unwinding drawdowns. And I like to sleep at night. You know, I don't want to have to travel with my ledger and try to unwind shit when stuff's blowing up and it's just not, it's not my style. So, you know, I think that is probably a guarantee that there are going to be more of these because they've already happened. And, you know, if you look at Tether, like that's the same size as Lehman Brothers, basically, like when it blew up, right? Like however, you know, many billion. So like, you know, these things are getting big to the point where they could have these cascading unwinds. And that's not to say like, I think if that happens, I would be in there buying the next day, right? Like I'm fundamentally long-term bullish on the space, but like, yeah, there are these, you, you know, you don't know what it's going to be. You don't know what it's going to be. I wouldn't be buying the next day. There were a lot of guys in 1929, like the Rockefellers came out and they're like, we're still buyers in October of 1929. Right, right, right. Uh, maybe not the next day, maybe the next year. But uh, I, I don't know. I don't know about leverage in that. People talk a lot about leverage in the crypto system. There's a lot of inherent leverage in futures and all that. And it's why sometimes, you know, oil is so volatile, natural gas is so volatile, all that. But once you get in comfortable with that leverage, you need to actually, it's, it's really stupid to go buy oil like a stock. Like it's much, at least for me, more profitable to be more of a string trader about it and embrace the leverage. And when you embrace the leverage, you're moving with the majority of the people who are participating in it, right? So if you go buy something 
that's not, you know, on an unlevered basis that's inherently levered, then you're sort of disconnecting yourself from the flow of the market. Anyway, uh, I think that, uh, uh, anyway, Hal, why don't you take over and, and drill down with Wasabi on some things and, well, I have. I just have one uh, one question for you, and so I'll start with this: that in in crypto, there's been this popular thing called airdrops, right? We we experimented this with our uh, Footgun News token and and provided an airdrop to anyone that subscribed that wanted to send us an Ethereum address. And tomorrow, El Salvador will be airdropping thirty dollars worth of Bitcoin to any of its citizens that will go and install this app. I can't remember the name for it, but it, it, in their local um, slang, it means cool. Um, so, Wasabi, how, do you think that this is a, a non-event? This is going to be something huge. Is Bitcoin gonna the Bitcoin price going to respond to this? Uh, is everybody going to dump on the El Salvadorians? Oh, I, I haven't heard about that. No, I think I mean. Everyone likes to get money rained down from the sky, right? I think maybe they're going to spend it. And it's they're, like what they're trying to bootstrap Bitcoin as like an actual currency that people spend, right? Like, I, I think that's kind of problematic in that, you know, like I don't want to, any true Bitcoiner doesn't want to spend their Bitcoin, right? They want to spend their US trash token. So maybe they're, they'll, Maybe people will get it and like it and see it go up and buy more. I, I don't know. It's right. Well, so they're supposed to have, um, you know, given out to many businesses, vendors, um, the machinery that they need so that you can go spend the Bitcoin anywhere. And it uses the Lightning Network. So the transactions are fast and cheap. Um, I, I personally used the Lightning Network in 2020 um, to buy a whole lot of Bitcoin. There was a company that allowed me to directly buy Bitcoin with an ACH deposit straight out of my, um, checking account, which Mm. was, uh, really fun. But however they were running their business, um, they, they emailed me like six minutes after the price dropped on uh, March 12th, like 50% in one day, uh, and said that they were no longer in business. And ever since Mm. then, I haven't used the lightning network. Um, but my experience with it was great. Um, super fast, super cheap. So I, you know, I could see this being really successful. What I think is going to be uh, the, you know, the, the things that slows it down is the fact that the people have to go and install an app, right? Um, <laughs> I, yeah, I think only only how many of them, what, less than ten percent have access to high speed internet. Um, you know, we we cover this on the El Salvadoran thing, and the State Department has recently come out to really condemn. This guy is pulling the authoritarian playbook. He's overstaying his constitutionally allowed term limits. So El Salvador is descending into an authoritarian state, not unlike Turkey, Russia, et cetera, that has a faux democracy with a little bit on on top. I think that 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 that's prob- that's that's sad because this could have been really cool for a developing country and to have the you know authoritarian backdrop. To have, you know, a guy who was willing to call in the military to basically go into his version of Congress and force them to vote a certain way associated with Bitcoin, I think is going to be a net negative because you've got ESG lurking in the background, right? And part of ESG is governance. And, you know, people have problems investing in authoritarian regimes. There are funds that don't take positions in stocks in China that are um, abusive of human rights and all that other kind of stuff. So, Hal, I completely agree with you in the sense that the adoption and all of that is really good. But I think whatever good that comes out of it will be overshadowed or at least offset by this uh, uh, out of control and authoritarian president in El Salvador. Yeah, well, it will certainly be an exciting moment for the Bitcoin network because, uh, you know, all the on-chain analysts will be watching and, you know, uh, Willy Woo, you know, was predicting that there'll be a 1% increase in the number of Bitcoin users overnight. So we'll see how how much of that prediction um, comes true. I expect it to be um, not as, you know, all the estimates will be over predicting what will actually happen and, and there'll be less adoption than uh, everyone's predicting. Yeah, I'd say it'll be bad adoption. Since don't forget, they're also using going on the Bitcoin route because El Salvador is dependent upon uh, a lot of Salvadorans uh, who live in the United States sending money back to the country. That's like their number one product is imports of U.S. dollars from outside of the country from family members working abroad. I, I just think that if it's it's you know it's just if you get an authoritarian move, if you get a 
Erdogan like move associated with Bitcoin, it would just be much better if this was happening in Luxembourg or, you know, Ireland or something like that. Because, you know, if, if, if people associate Bitcoin with the authoritarian playbook and these fledgling democracies, I think that'll be a bad thing. So Wasabi Boat Research, uh, is there any questions you have for us? Um, no, not like a, a one-off question. I would, I would love to have uh, both of you guys on my show and I kind of like do deep dive. Like I like to, to get in the mind of, uh, of people who are doing trading and because that's kind of like, that's not my mindset, but I have a lot of uh, questions. So I hope we can, uh, we can do this another time and, uh, and get into some of your uh, biggest wins and losses and uh, trading war stories and stuff like that. Well, Wasabi Boat Research, I've been looking forward to this for a number of days on uh, in a row. It has not disappointed. Um, the name of your podcast, plug your podcast, because it is really good. Okay. Um, let's see. I guess the easiest way to get to it is uh, my Twitter, at uh, Wasabi Boat 420. And then the link there will link you to, um, there's an audio version and there's a version that I put on YouTube. So however you like to consume podcasts you can get to it that way thanks so much for for having me on guys this was really fun absolutely you too